0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Humans. Through humans. This is God's plan. This is God's desire. This is God's way. He does this with humans, creatures that bear his image, that have been given a unique task to be sort of priests to convey this to the world. And this is the big story of the Bible. This is God's desire. But from page two onward, starting with the first humans that God chooses to work with, they inevitably fail at passing on this goodness. And then uh, there's lots of people who just outright reject passing on this goodness. So much of the story of the Bible is God looking for willing partners. And the center of this story, the, the climax, the main point that what this leads to is Jesus. Jesus is the center of the biblical story. And unlike all that has gone on before, all the people God has worked through, Jesus is the one who successfully passes on God's blessing. And it is in Jesus we see what a truly human life looks like. And we see God's ideal, God's ideal way of, of working, of passing on that blessing. We see that in Jesus. That's why we sing about Jesus. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. That's why we keep returning to Jesus. There's so much richness there for us. But that it's God's ideal way uh, is is important. Because the second thing that we is that am I cutting out a little bit? Is there something I should do about that? Is that? Okay. I don't think it's my fault. I'm sorry. Uh, You know, I will say it's my fault. I'll take the blame. I can do it. But throughout the Old Testament, God meets people where they are. And he works with them where they are. But again, it's not until we encounter Jesus that we really see God's ideal. And if, as you've read the Bible, if you've wondered why there's so much in the Old Testament that Christians in the New Testament no longer follow, ritual laws, ways of purifying oneself, ceremonial laws, why in the Old Testament God is only or primarily working through the people of Israel, but in the New Testament he'll work with sort of people from all nations, or why characters in the Old Testament do things that we no longer do or that aren't allowed in the New Testament. Part of the big reason of that is God meets people where they are, and if they're willing to work with them, he works with them, and he moves them along. The story of the Old Testament is incremental movements towards God's ideal, which is in Jesus. So it's a story of progress and movement moving towards God's ideal in Jesus. So those two things hopefully in place, I want to take a moment and pray, and then we'll read the story. Um, We'll just read the story. So pray with me. Um, God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. You are a God who calls out to your creation and you call out to humans, you long to partner with us, to heal us, and for us to be means of blessing, of your blessing, of sharing your goodness with this world. Um, bless the reading of your scripture and, and my reflections on it. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to, now, now I'm going to read it. Um, It should be on... Yep, there it goes. Okay, because I don't have it up here. Uh, So after... This is our text for the day. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He, this is God, said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Uh, in the church traditions i come from usually after we read scripture someone says the word of the lord and then everyone says thanks be to god so the word of the lord thank you for doing that for me um so i want to consider why god would ask such a terrible thing what what was going on that would cause him to ask this admittedly this story is something of the climax to the story of abraham in the old testament who we'd met 10 chapters before we spent the last few weeks walking through his life and it's been decades decades have passed since we first met him and what we're told this call from god today is told in a manner that echoes that first call if you remember so uh, if, yeah this slide, so you can see there 's some similarities that kind of would bring an attentive reader back. They sound similar. Leave your country, take your son, your people, your only son, and your father 's house, whom you love, and go to the land and go to the mountain that I will show that I will tell you about the way that the biblical authors work they're they 're sort of echoing back they 're calling us back, to remind us. I think of our initial encounter with Abraham. We met him in chapter 12, and there God calls him and tells him that he will be a blessing, that God will bless Abraham, and through Abraham's family, through his offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, why would God, perhaps, if God's desire is to bless his creation, if that's what we see in the beginning before sin comes and corrupts the world why would god hang so much of his desire on one person why would he put sort of all his eggs in this abraham basket again the bible opens with an account of god making a good world and wanting to share that goodness with the world and to pass that goodness on through human beings creatures made in his image And to be honest, up until Abraham, things have not worked particularly well. There's the betrayal in the garden on page three of the Bible in the first generation. There's the entrance of sin into the world. There's the first murder in the second generation. There's a rapid rise of violence so that the whole earth needs to be purged. There's this flood that happens. And so until before meeting Abraham... What we read is more or less a, a, a record of people choosing not to follow God's ways, of, choosing, of people resisting this call to be means of blessing, refusing to be partners with God in his work of sharing his goodness with his creation. God has been burned or ignored by humanity, but he still desires to work through people. But now he's doing it through one man, his wife, and their offspring. That is his plan. And if we stop for a moment just at this, the, this part, at the start, God's first call to Abraham, uh, it, it has to be said, God is wise, God is all-powerful, God is the creator, the sustainer. But in choosing to, to work through one man, God has made himself profoundly vulnerable. Uh, he has put his plans in the hands of one man, and is, in a way, dependent, choosing to be dependent, on this man's faithfulness. And with how things have gone before, this doesn't seem like the most intuitive plan of God's. This doesn't seem like the best idea. And if we go back to Genesis 12, God asks Abraham to cut himself off from his past, from his family, in order that he and his family, his future family, would receive God's blessing and be conduits of that blessing into the world. But now all these years later, God asks him to sacrifice his son, to quite literally cut off that future, to cut off that promised means of blessing. Why is God doing this? Why might God be doing this? So if we go back to the very first slide of, of the text, or if you have it, if you have your Bibles with you, this, uh, the story of Abraham uh, and Isaac begins with a little phrase after these things god tested abraham so we the readers and god know something that abraham doesn't know we know that this is a test he doesn't know this he doesn't know that what's about to happen is a test but we the readers do now testing isn't always bad that's a word to anyone who's still in school, uh, taking tests. You don't have to enjoy tests. Uh, But but before, to this day, before we take on certain significant responsibilities, we test. Before you drive, you have to take a test because it's significant, because it matters. Before you join the military, before we release an experimental drug that could really help people, we test it to see what it's like. Before athletes sign multi-million dollar uh, uh, sports contracts, they undergo tests because tests are a means by which we see the character of something or someone before they go and take on a significant responsibility. And I think the reason for this test, which God is going to give Abraham, is encapsulated in the little phrase that, that starts the story out. After these things. What things? All well, the things we've been talking about. But lots have happened to Abraham and Sarah throughout the ten chapters um, that we've been with them. But I want to I want to consider uh, what what this would have been like from God's perspective, uh, God's experience that would lead God's experience of what had happened in these chapters that would lead him to want to test Abraham, and in this very extreme way. So we've walked through Abraham's life, the 10 chapters, and yeah, I just wonder what sort of confidence, how God feels, in a sense, about this person who is going to be his means of blessing the world. Uh, the guy who God has chosen and ha- who initially responded to be a part of God's dream to bless his creation. In some ways, I have a hard time imagining God has a lot of confidence in Abraham twice already, we've talked about some of this over the last few weeks, twice Abraham has lied about his marital status, which is already like a bad husband, like 101. But he's tried to pass his wife off as his sister twice to kings as he's passed through their lands, first in Egypt and then in Canaan. And then, I mean, we only have 10 chapters for this guy's life. Why would they include these two particular failings? They're sort of strange details To mention in the life of Abraham. But in trying to pass his wife off as his sister, he has twice let his wife, with whom God has said will be the means of blessing the world, he's let his wife potentially go to bed with other men, right? God's plan was to work through both of them and their offspring. And so rather than trusting God while they were sojourning in a foreign land, he risks setting back God's plan pretty significantly. Uh, to save his own neck. This is not like a great record. And then as we heard about last week from Stephen, uh, instead of waiting and trusting on God, he took advantage of his slave uh, to to have this potential child of blessing. You could imagine God is not as sure about this guy. And if we just sort of approach this text without all of that background... God's desire to bless the world, his decision to do it through people, Abraham's initial good response and then sort of some significant missteps. If we approach it as an isolated read, it's a senseless, horrific thing God is doing here. But if we situate it again in the larger story of the Bible, perhaps we're given a clue why why God would um, want to test this sort of single thread of, uh, that he's he's placed his desire, his plan to bless the world with. Is it going to snap? Is it going to break? Is this person reliable? God makes himself incredibly vulnerable in all of this to work through this man and his incredibly dysfunctional family. Uh, it's It's worth noting, too, at the end of the story, which we read, after the test is done, after all that's gone on has happened, We don't actually hear Abraham's response. We don't hear Abraham's feelings of what the experience were like. In the New Testament, uh, the author of Hebrews says that Abraham was confident that even if he killed Isaac, God would raise Isaac from the dead. But in Genesis, it's pretty silent. The author is silent there. And no doubt, he was super relieved. This was his son, his beloved son, whom he deeply loved, was still alive and not dead. But we don't really know. It's, it's The story is surprisingly silent. They they go home together. You can imagine what a conversation would have been like after that. But it does give us a view. But who we do hear from after this story is God. There's almost a sense that God has this palpable relief. His desired plan can go through. Uh, yeah, because he, because of Abraham's response, he says all the nations of the earth shall find their blessing through their seed, because you have obeyed my voice. Now God knows this. He says, now I know. God tested him through this process. God's desire is never to harm Isaac. Uh, And and we're aware, too, that we can be aware, too, that there's clues that God knows he's asking a significant thing of abraham here this is an unfathomably big ask in so many ways in verse two of the story right after there's the divine command to take to take the child it's followed by this tiny little hebrew participle that sometimes isn't always translated in the text but god says take and then the next word is please or i beg you And it's just a little word. It shows up all over the Old Testament. People, when you say, please, it's a common thing. But there's only five times in the Old Testament where God uses this word when he's talking to human beings, where he says, please. And in each of those circumstances, he's asking them to do something that's staggering, asking them to do something they no doubt want to do. It's a tiny little word. Please, I beg you. But God is asking Abraham to do something. And I think God is aware that he's asking a very hard thing. And the intensity of the ask is continued. It's it's magnified. There's these direct objects. Your son, your precious son, your son whom you love, Isaac. Each time God kind of adds to it, he moves closer and closer to Abraham's heart to something to someone Abraham deeply loves. He asks Abraham to take the boy to Moriah, a place that really is not known, a place that isn't mentioned in the Old Testament except one other time in Second Chronicles when Solomon, this is hundreds of years later, Solomon wants to build a temple. And the place he decides that is most appropriate to build a temple is on one of the mountains in Moriah. It's an interesting connection there. But then after taking him to this unknown mountain, there comes the command that is so troublesome, so troubling, to offer Isaac there as a burnt offering. And it's important, I think, to remember what we said before. God meets people where they are, and he continually brings them along incrementally to his ideal. What God specifically asks Abraham to do here, he never asks of any other human father or mother in history Uh, this is how god is testing abraham's faith to the promise that was given and that he hadn't done the best job with god is wanting to know can i trust this guy is he up for the significant responsibility that he has so god is not presenting in this story his ideal for abraham and isaac that abraham would slaughter isaac or sacrifice him or for fathers and sons In fact, the Old Testament speaks with one voice about the practice of child sacrifice. And it's a a practice that we know from literary uh, and archaeological evidence was very well known, was practiced in Abraham's day. Uh, The Old Testament law, which is going to come 400 years after Abraham, speaks unequivocally. This is an abomination to God. And the prophets speak eloquently about this as well, reaffirming this. And the the one that I wanted to share comes from the prophet of Micah, who who asked this question. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In, In the world that Micah operated, people thought this was what maybe God would want. And there's a pause here, and it is a huge pause because it's an unequivocal no. What God wants, he says this, he has told you already. He's told you what he wants. He's told you what is good. What the Lord requires to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. So the situation that, that we find in Genesis 22, this testing of Abraham, again, is not a declaration of God's ideal. When we set it across the story of the scripture, we see that that is not what God is after. But that Abraham silently offers no objections to God's command might be evidence, I think, that Abraham maybe thought this was just an, I mean, this was a thing other gods were asking, maybe this God who's calling me, maybe this is A normal thing uh that I should do. And it it could show also that Abraham doesn't really know the character of this God yet. He hasn't been fully revealed. We're pretty early on in the story of the Bible. God has much more to show about himself as he works works with humans. And there's again, there's intimacy and tenderness in the telling of this story. There's a lot of silence. And a lot of the silence comes from Abraham. Now, God's dream and his desire of blessing the world while Abraham and Isaac are going up on the mountain, it, it's teetering precariously in the balance, I think, at this point. God wants to know, Can I ch- I'm, I want to work through people. Can I work through this person? Can I work through this guy? If I was writing a sacred text, if I was writing a Bible, it um, probably wouldn't be that good, to be honest, but I don't know if I would put a story like this in there. I would want to sort of sweep this one under the rug. Um, and you could see from even just the response, maybe your own responses, but the responses from folks like Kierkegaard or what Ellen Davis was saying, people have been bothered by this text for years. And again, this I, this text doesn't tell us everything we need to know about God, but I think it tells us something about of a very high significance about this god that we have to learn sooner or later if we're going to make sense of the ways of god with human beings now god is all-knowing god is all-powerful god is wise he is the god who spoke creation into existence and used a mighty flood to purge it he is a powerful powerful god But here and throughout the scriptures, we encounter a God who makes himself incredibly vulnerable. He makes himself vulnerable because he entrusts his plan, his desire to bless his creation. He entrusts it to human beings, to people that don't really have good track records, uh, people that are probably a fair bit like us, at least like me, and God is still doing this. God is still entrusting his plan, his desire to bless his creation to human beings, people just like us. And it's a lot easier, I think, often for us to see God's decision to be vulnerable in the New Testament. And then, you know, we see God of grace or kindness. And then people talk about like this mean God of the Old Testament uh, who's distant and demanding and vindicative. I understand the sentiment, and I can't imagine this talk has sort of solved or uh, resolved any of those qualms. I understand why people feel that way. I just think it's wrong. Um, I think this story shows us a God who is prof- who makes himself profoundly vulnerable. And our text has so many parallels. Uh, finds its fruition in the New Testament. Where again, we encounter the same God choosing to make himself vulnerable. Choosing to work through people to pass his blessing on to the world. It's most true of Jesus, God's ideal, God taking on human flesh, human nature, coming, living a humble life, working, teaching, and ultimately ultimately dying on the cross. God who, uh, 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 there's a, an old theologian uh, who speaks about God's humility and vulnerability here. He speaks about God, who the highest heavens could not contain, enters the smallest room any of us have ever been in, our mother's womb. God makes himself incredibly vulnerable. And one of the ways that I... I, I, One of the texts that I kind of want to end with, a text that always makes me tear up, that we see the continuity of this same God, a vulnerable God who wants to work through flawed people, Uh, but who needs to know he can entrust himself uh, to them. Uh, It's the final resurrection appearance that we find in the Gospel of John. You might know this story if you're familiar with with the New Testament. But our resurrected Lord asks Peter, he says, says, Simon, which is, anyway, Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is going to ask this no doubt heartbreaking question three times to Peter uh, if, if Peter had denied Jesus three times just a few days before which had led to Jesus' death and from Peter's side it was no doubt a humbling moment but a profound moment of rehabilitation Peter is brought back in after he did the thing he said he would never do he's brought back in God, re- Jesus rehabilitates him and that's Peter's perspective on this moment. But what was this like for Jesus? What was this moment like? Why might our crucified and risen Lord need to ask this three times? Of course, it corresponds to Peter's three denials. But also in Matthew's gospel, Peter was called, Jesus called Peter the rock on which the church was to be built. Whether you take that in sort of the Roman Catholic way, that he's the first pope, yada yada i don't but like it's clear that peter is a significant character in the new testament he is a leader in the early church our lord himself appointed him to that position peter would lead god's new creation people as they became conduits of blessing into the world people who receive god's blessing and pass it on god in christ in a way depends on peter to be trustworthy, to be that conduit of blessing in the same way that God needed Abraham to be that blessing. So we're just days after Peter's massive betrayal, the very thing he promised he would never do. I I just wonder what Jesus' tone was like with him. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Is it possible that there was some anxiety, some concern in Jesus' voice? His plan to bless the world was going to work through Peter. Jesus was again vulnerable and needed to know Peter was a trustworthy, trustworthy person. And again, as with the testing of Abraham, God in Jesus needs to hear and see from Peter himself. He's up to this task. And we know this because of what Jesus says will await Peter if he chooses to be the conduit of this blessing. Just a few verses later, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and they will carry you off to a place you do not want to go. Do you hear the echoes of the story of Abraham and Isaac? carried off to a place you don't want to go. Church tradition holds that Peter's death was a crucifixion. He was crucified upside down. That that's what awaited him as the person who was going to be a means, a human that God was going to work with to bring his blessing into the world so in closing this up and wrapping this up i can't imagine i've answered many or even any of your 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 problems with the text of of god testing abraham calling him to sacrifice his son there's a lot that i still have to wrestle with with this text but the god in this text is a god who has chosen who desires to bless the world And his desired means of blessing the world is through human beings. People like you and me. And God's desire still is to bless the world. And his desire is to still do that through people like you and me. And God tests us. God tests us to see if we're up to this responsibility because it is the most important thing that is going on in human existence. So... I'll pass it over now. We'll have a time of worship.